0: Radio Rumi. Hi, everyone. I'm Fatima Keshavarz, and this is another episode of Radio Rumi. I thought that we do something different today for this episode and talk to you about Rumi's discourses or what he talked to the people around him about. I hesitate to call it his sermons because it was not really a formal kind of a church or mosque attendance, but he would sit and in public, and people would come around him, and he would speak to them. There are um, beautiful quotes from this book, which he never wrote down, actually. He never himself um, wrote these discourses down, but again, the people who listened took notes, and um, sometime soon after his um, death, the book was available uh, and it became known as Asrar Jalaliye or the Secrets of Jalal which is the first name of Rumi, Jalal Rumi. Today I want to give you some quotes from that and I'll let you know uh, why I think it is despite the fact that it's in prose, that it's very poetic, very effective, and why so many people actually came to listen to it. But as usual, before we get into the topic, I want to remind you again that you can write to me in radiorumi at umd.edu. Again, radiorumi at umd.edu. Any questions, comments, suggestions, ideas for uh, future discussions uh, that you might have, I would welcome. All right, and now back to the discourses of Rumi, which actually over time came to become known as Fihimafi, which literally means it is in it what is in it which is kind of a humorous title. It actually is from a poem that another mystic um, who lived before Rumi known as Mansur al loj he said it in a poem. So, um, this shows that the people who took down the notes of Rumi's discourses and those who read them were also familiar with the poetry of Halaj, and so these uh, material were being um, distributed and circling in the same kinds of um, um, circles of people. What is special about Fihemafi is that it has a very simple language. He was talking to people, very ordinary people, so he used a language that is in no way complicated or has a lot of references to complex texts and he also used a lot of stories and metaphors that made it easier for people to understand the complicated points that he was making. One of these examples which I have actually quoted here in these um, Radio programs before is the using the example of the stars to refer to people whose presence is cha- changes your lives and sheds lights on your ways, and um, in that he said, basically wanted to say that clear education, effective education comes with the presence of these people who don't necessarily lecture at you, and he used the example of a star, and he said. میکنت, or um, the, a person who's lost on the road looks at the stars and finds his way which is one way that people um, if they were in open space could find their ways and um, he says well, they look at the stars and find their ways. Does that mean the star speaks to them? No. az be Except for when this person looks at the star, he finds his own or her own bearings. He knows where is the north, where is the south, the east, the west, and he um, basically finds his, the correct way to get him home. And then he compares those stars to people he describes as Haq, or friends of God. Um, I'm sure that we have talked about this before, that the Sufis referred to the equivalent of saints um, in other traditions. They didn't call them saints, they called them friends of God. Um, because what they were supposed to have uh, that was exceptional, that was more than what everything else or everybody else had, was their closeness to God, was their direct relationship with God. So here Rumi says that this is exactly, this, those stars are exactly like um, the friends of God. If you're near them, you watch them, they shed light on your way and show you the way home. The Sermons of Rumi also show that um, he he was a very frank, very open, very courageous person. I'm going to give you a very interesting example of that. Um, There was a governor uh, of the city of Konya known as Amir Parvaneh, and a governor at that time was very, very powerful. That would that person would basically would be the law and authority and order and everything. Um, and he was a great admirer of Rumi and used to come to these sessions and sit and listen. And one day he came and he turned around to Rumi and said. I'm, I want to ask you to pray for me. That what I have in my heart comes true. That what I'm wishing actually happens for me. Now, Rumi had a choice to um, just say, sure, and close his eyes and say a few things. But he didn't know what the wish of this Amir was. He also knew that he's not doing this for everyone. It's not like he every day comes there and says, Okay, who wants me to um, pray for them, for their wishes to come true? So he didn't want to make a special, uh, provide a special service or a special interest, um, favor rather, for this individual. So he didn't object. He prayed. But this is what he said. He said Inshallah taala amir He said, With God's grace, I am hoping and praying that God makes it possible for the Amir to find his wishes come true. و هرچه در دل دارد. So whatever is in his heart. و آن دولت ها را نیست که در دل ندارد و نمی داند که چه چیز هست. که آن را بخواهد امید هست آنها نیست. مویسر شود. And I also pray that God grants him all the good fortunes, all the important things that he doesn't even know about. He doesn't even know what to ask for. I hope that those also come true. So that when those wishes that he doesn't even know we cannot even imagine comes through he might in fact feel shy, feel ashamed even, of asking what he asked for. In other words, what Rumi is saying is that the greatest thing we can ask for, all of us, is to ask to understand what is good for us. What are the important things that we need to have so that we don't go waste our time seeking and pursuing things that is not even worth wishing. But of course, saying that to a powerful Amir is not easy, but he did manage it. But he did manage it in a way that it also became a lesson for everybody. According to this story, Amir was moved and, e- and even shed a tear and listened to what Rumi had to say. Now, some of these stories may not be completely true. Some of these stories may be created around figures like Rumi because they're stuff of legends and people like to make stories about them. If indeed the story is not true, it still has equal truth value in it because for centuries people quoted the story, told the story to each other as something good that they had received from Rumi's time. In other words, that's the impact that historically he made down the road till our day today. And that's almost 800 years. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that in some of these cases when we deal with literature, with philosophy, with thinking about ways of life, factuality is not necessarily the only way of knowing that matters. It's one of them, but not by any means the only one. So back to Fihimafi, Rumi's discourses. Um, Rumi was frank not just to this particular Moinetin parwane he was frank to everyone. He never sugarcoated what he told people. He never acted and pretended as if everything was easy, that they weren't responsible for something bad they had done. Now let me um, quickly also add that he wasn't punitive either. He was not one of those teachers who sat and threatened people that they will go to hell and they're going to burn and they're going to suffer. He did not really believe in that kind of teaching. He rather wanted people to see beauty, to see hope, to see gentleness, and discover things for themselves. But he also was very frank about the fact that they had to work for it, and that what they received was a kind of reaction to the actions that they had taken. Now here's one saying that comes out of Fieh One day he said, bar masole the word is like a big mountain whatever you say good or bad it echoes in the mountain and you're going to hear that same echo coming back to آلم بر مثال کوه هست. هرچه گویی از خیر و شر از کوه همان شنوی. The world is a mountain and what you, whatever you say in it, the, the, the sound you make, the noise you make, good or bad, you're going to hear it back. اگر گمان بری که من خوب گفتم. کوه زشت جواب داد. محال. If you think that I said something beautiful and the mountain echoed something ugly and terrible back to me, this is impossible. So in a way, this is not very different from the Buddhist karma. You create with your action what happens back to you. In a way, you create your own life. You create your own future. Now, it's true that very often things happen to you that you haven't necessarily, that moment taken action for it. Somebody just comes out of a parking spot and hits your car. You know, you might say, well, what did I do? He didn't look or she didn't look. So, on a small scale, this may not apply, but if you look deeply at your life, you will see that indeed Life is like a mountain that echoes your own voice back to you. I'm sure that you have noticed that people who are happy and they kind of radiate a sense of happiness and a sense of good fortune and a sense of hope around them, they also have good things happen to them. And people who um Are often focused on negative things happen to run into a lot more negative things. So to hear that um line of Rumi again, Allam bar Masal leku hast harche gui as khiroshar as ku hamon shenavi. And if I'm wrong because I said Kuh zesh jawab dard mahal. Rumi believes that um, we do have, as human beings, a nature that could just look in one direction or go for one extreme. It's hard, really hard to have a balance. It's much easier to be one-sided about things. Sometimes we think balance, well, no, that's simple but think about just a simple day in life to keep the balance between life and work, the balance between um, eating and not eating too much, the balance between exercise or being completely stationary, um, to be working on your computer too much or taking some time off. From these very simple examples, to the most sophisticated and philosophical ones, it is often very difficult to live a balanced life. So one of the things that Rumi um, kept telling his followers in his sermons or in his discourses, which are reflected in the book Fihamafi, about which I am talking today, was that every tool has its own use its own use. And um, we need to use it for the purpose for which it has been created. And, for example, rationality. We need to use it to find the address to the house of the king. If you remember, we talked about this in, in um, detail in another episode. And rationality is the guide that takes you to the house of the king which you're visiting. But then, when you get to the house of the king, whose love, then it's time to sit down and listen to the king speak for you. And tell you what to do and what not to do with regards to matters that are matters of heart, matters of love, matters uh, matters of contemplation, emotion, and connection with other people. One of the the, uh, things that love, for example, does for you um, is to help you overcome hesitation and um, fear and um, lack of stamina and energy. Um, in one of his sayings, um, Rumi says in in his discourse, says in nafsah that mi mahalle shopheva iskallast. Har gez behiç vaj, n'tavan azu shopheva iskall raborden. Megar k'oshershava. This life, this existence of the human being, is full of sorrow and full of doubt and full of worries. It is not possible for human beings to totally overcome these doubts, these hesitations, the inability to act, except for the time that they fall in love. After that, you can move forward. Now, of course, you know sometimes this has been taken to extreme. Sometimes people have been told that, according to the Sufis, um, according to Rumi, your rationality doesn't have much value. You have to just fall in love. Well, by no means he is saying that. In fact. Time and again, he reminds us that the thinking and rationality is a very important part of us. Oh, my brother, you are your thoughts, your thinking, your rationality. The rest of you are your bones and your flesh and, and your body. In other words, just as your body keeps you alive, your muscles and your bones are important, so is your power of thinking and rationality, even though you're not able to see it in the the same way that you see your own body. So in short, what I'm saying is that by no means Rumi is, is saying that we should only care for falling in love and do away with our rationality, but nonetheless, he says, the only time you can act without hesitation, without worry, and move forward, open doors, take action, is when we are in love. And of course, that love has many, many different faces and many different varieties. Think of scientists, how they go back to their labs day after day after day, to work with whatever tool it is they're working with. Well, they're in love with their topic. They're in love with the result that they're waiting for. They want to find a cure for an illness or make a machine work better or solve some mathematical problem, whatever it is that they have the passion to deal with. So... In that example of falling in love, enabling and empowering you to take action, and that's where you need to use it, Rumi is very clear. Another topic that he comes to time and again in his um, discourses um, is about the value of the human beings, the value of you, yourself. Um, Time and again... He quotes the Quranic verse, and we have given um, dignity to human beings, which is a Quranic verse. He quotes it a lot because he does not wish for the human beings around him to underestimate themselves, to basically think that they are not good for anything or what they do is not. Uh, worthwhile, but completely the opposite. In one of his sermons, he says, um, Imagine that God is an astrologer. And there was a tool that astrologers of the time of Rumi used to measure the height of the sun and the other stars and, and all the basically heavenly bodies, and is astrolab, or in the Western, in the English, current English language, astrolab. Now, astrolab was taken from Arabic language when the scientists used the term astrolab about measuring heavenly bodies. Um so imagine God is an astronomer and Rumi says in Audami Ostorlau the astrolab with which God measures the astrologer God measures the heavenly bodies, is the human being. We are the tool with which God measures and understands and makes sense. Of the existence. Of course it's a metaphor, of course um, Rumi doesn't mean that without human beings God would be helpless and not able to make his or her calculations, but nonetheless he puts the human beings in the hands of God as a most important tool in the hands of a scientist. And then elsewhere, he um, uses the metaphor of a pregnant woman. Actually, Rumi um, is very fascinated with the idea of being pregnant and sometimes compares himself to a breastfeeding mother, sometimes compares himself to a pregnant woman. Um, In this case, he compares all of us, all the humanity, to uh, a pregnant woman. And this mother is pregnant with God's mysteries or divine mysteries. It's really a beautiful, um, beautiful image. آدمی <inaudible> و اون اشتغال ظاهر مانع مشغولی با نیست this human being whatever condition he or she is in the, his inner world inner life is busy with the truth of God the mystery of God همچنان که زنی حامله I have to interrupt this discussion and tell you that it's just started to rain around me outside my window. A very powerful rain is, is pouring down. I wish you could hear it. Maybe you can. I wouldn't know until I listen to what I have recorded but it fits very beautifully with the words of Rumi. So this human being, he says, in whatever state he or she is, the inner world of his, this inner being or her inner being, is occupied with the mysteries of God. And look at what he uses the metaphor for. On So, just like a pregnant woman has this baby growing inside her, and no matter what happens outside, this baby will not stop growing. She might be listening, she might be lying down, she might be sleeping, she might be reading and the baby grows inside her. And with her growth or his growth, gets ready more and more to come into this world. So this humanity, pregnant with God, with the mysteries of God, can protect this mystery inside. Whether it rains hard outside, whether the sun shines, whether a war is going on, whether he or she she is happy or sad. And that's a very hopeful sense. The fact that our physical and spiritual existence is capable of growing God's mystery inside, protected, and carried like a baby to term, is a very, very hopeful idea. In another um, example of fairly similar metaphor, and I'm sure I have quoted this one for you before, Rumi says, takes this one stage further. Not only we are like a pregnant woman, we are like Mary carrying a Jesus. And, and uh, keep in mind that to him, Mary is as holy to any Christian. Remember that the Quran has the largest um, reference to Mary. And Mary is given even more than... Um, the Bible itself. And the Quran uses Mary as an example of piety for all men and women. So this is a very holy individual to Rumi as well. And now, keeping that in mind, he says that our body, each each of our bodies is like a Mary. And each one of us have a Jesus inside. اگر ما را درد پیدا شود عیسی ما بزايد if becarry pregnancy to turn and we have the pain we feel the pain of giving birth our jesus is going to be born اگر درد نباشد ایسا هم از آن راه نهانی که آمد به اصل خود If we don't feel this presence, don't carry this pregnancy to term, do not feel the pain of longing, the work that we need to do in order to get where we need to get, then our Jesus won't be born. It will just go back to its divine origin and we as individuals will be deprived of it. I want to draw your attention to the fact that this is a very important metaphor. Not only are we pregnant, but we are pregnant with God. What this means is we, we human beings, create our lives, our spirituality, even our God. Of course, it doesn't mean that we physically give birth to God, but the God we have, the God that is ours, is a creation of ours, is a creation of our understanding of God. If we are small, angry, small-minded uh, people, our God is equally angry and small-minded and wants to punish everyone. If we are kind and generous, it's very likely that our God is also kind and generous. So, it is hard to end this episode. Um, I love these sayings of Rumi which are despite being a line of poetry of very, very poetic. So let me end with one, which is another one of my very favorites, and that is where he compares um, love to a king, but a king who's able to break you apart and rebuild you into a palace, which deserves um And or and is actually suitable for hosting a king. He says, "چندان که مهمان بیش شود خانه را بزرگتر کنند و آرايش بیش در شود و تا آم سازند." As there are more guests, the house needs to be bigger. It needs to be better decorated. More food needs to be made. Nemibini ke chantevlek adeu kuche kast andi she ye ke mehman ast la yer khaneye albeus. Don't you see that when a baby is very small, that. His or her thoughts and concerns are also very small and they're suitable for his or her body. Air Shiro Doyenat at some point this baby cannot imagine anything but mother's milk Chon Bozork Tar مهمانان اندیشه افزون and Dishe Afsunat as Aglo Edrako Tamis. As this baby grows older, there are guests of thoughts and rationality and perception and the ability to distinguish between things. And also the house of the body grows in Then the guests of love arrive and they don't fit in the house. They do not fit into that small house. no. They tear the house down and rebuild it again. Because the king and his entourage, his army, his attendants, they don't fit into that small house. They say we need a palace and turn your body into a palace for the king. Don't forget you can write to me at Radio Rumi at UMD It is still raining Till next time. <laughs> Yetel den den yek tek teleko Moment sanamodel den 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 yek den den